What's up, everybody? This is our live Q&A segment over on Outside the Box, uh, presented to you by Performance Medicine. Um, as always, I'm, I'm joined by Dr. Rogers. Um, Dr. Rogers, how you doing? Hey, Ben. You <laughs> thought I was asleep, didn't you? It has been a long day, but actually I've been meditating. And you really did disturb my meditation period, but um, actually... <laughs> I wasn't sleeping. Is it? Is that you're just trying to get relaxed for the show? You know, getting ready. Not really. I was just actually playing a joke on you. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, it would be nice to meditate at the end of a long, hard day. But, you know, uh, I, I completely, I completely agree. Um, we're going to have a a wonderful uh, segment today, and we're going to let some people jump in here and. Um, and man, we're, we're, we're super pumped that people come and join us every single Tuesday for this, uh, live Q and a show. Uh, I want to remind everybody, if you're with us, um, go ahead and, and say hello or, or ask a question. Uh, we're going to make this super interactive today. We're going to go for about 30 minutes and, uh, get in as, as many questions as we can. Uh, if we don't get to you, we're going to make sure that those get, uh, uh, first dibs, um, on next week's Q and a show. Um, reminder, we do this every single Tuesday at 545. Uh, we'd love for you to join us and, and hang out. And, um, and with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and get to the show. We got some great questions here. Uh, Doc, you ready? I'm ready. All right. So this first one is, uh, what are your thoughts on the idea of supplementing with hormones will cause your body to decrease its own hormone production? Uh, yeah, that somewhat is true. Um, so, you know, especially if you, if you supplement too early and you don't need it, you will suppress that what I call um, pituitary gonadal axis when you're talking about hormones like testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, especially testosterone. So how I approach hormone replacement or supplementation and a young person is different than how I would approach it as an older person. Um, say your testosterone, you're a guy, you're 30 years old, and your testosterone levels 300, which is really low for a 30-year-old man. It's really low for an 80-year-old man, in my opinion. But anyway, so if you start giving that guy, number one, you need to find out why is testosterone so low. Uh, you know, you just don't say, yeah, you got low T, here's your testosterone. You know, that that's not the right kind of medicine you need, need to be practicing. So first of all, find out why. Um, and then when you want to get the level up, sometimes I'll use not even testosterone. I'll use HCG or Clomid or maybe even weight loss, zinc. Uh, there's some other things you can do, weightlifting. Um, but usually it's going to involve hormone replacement. So um, if you just give that 30-year-old guy testosterone, he's going to need it the rest of his life. So what you try to do is get him jump started. Um, and to do that, you will check a luteinizing hormone and maybe a prolactin. And, you know, you need to know what to do with these kind of guys um, that can be brought on. I do see a lot of this through stress, shift work, all kinds of things can make your testosterone low. Even a pituitary tumor can do it. That's why you draw the prolactin level, especially if it's really, really low, if they're having any symptoms like headache, visual disturbances, etc. But so what I do, I try not to shut down 
a younger person's pituitary axis. And to do that, if I use testosterone, I'll supplement it with either breaks from testosterone or uh, with use of um, LH, like luteinizing hormone, like uh, hormones like Clomid or HCG along with testosterone and sometimes even by itself, uh, especially if you're thinking about having kids because if you give a guy just pure testosterone, you decrease their sperm count. So, and these are fertility drugs that will increase sperm count. And they'll also prevent shutting down that own pituitary gonadal axis. So um, you have to know what you're doing at a certain age. Now, you know, if you're an old guy like me or you have low T, then it's fine to give just testosterone. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, you will suppress your own production of it. it, it post-menopause or post-andropausal, it's a moot point. You're not going to produce them anyway. That's what I was, that was, that's what I was going to ask you. It's not a big deal. But, you know, for other hormones, like, I mean, take a type 1 diabetic who puts no ins the hormone insulin, they have none. Of course, you're going to have to use it the rest of their lives. Um, thyroid, you know, if you over-supplement it on a person with, you know, just low thyroid production, um, you have to know what you're doing there too. So, um, adrenals, cortisol, that type of thing. You don't, you don't want to just go handing out cortisol, cortef on people with adrenal insufficiency. So you kind of need to build it into a program where you kind of don't shut down their own system until it shuts down itself and then you take over. But, um, we deal with this every day in here. So in that time for, for most people is uh, postmenopausal and post andropausal. Usually, yeah, if you're talking about testosterone and estrogen and those things. So, um, yeah, some people are worried about it when they shouldn't be. Other people should be worried about it and they're not. So, again, it boils down to knowledge of hormones and how your, uh, your brain works. That is so. a, that's a great question. We're going to move on to, to number two here. Keep it rolling. Um, okay. It's estimated that about 20% of diseases and conditions are genetic. What determines if they're genetic or preventable? Um, also, which diseases and conditions are actually genetic? Um, that's probably true. About 20% of what happens to you is just your genes, your DNA. And so, in other words, 80% of this is what your lifestyle is. I mean, and everybody has genes. Everybody has mutations on their genes. Um, a lot of the stuff we don't know yet, even though we can map the whole human genome out now, not that expensively, but, um, I, I kind of correlate it to something I heard one time. We're all kind of walking around like a loaded gun. The environment is what pulls the trigger. So, um, you know, you can, you can, and there's evidence that you can actually change your genetics through what you're eating. Like I've said many times, 99% of your genetic material, your gen DNA in your body is not even yours. It's, it's, it's bacteria from your gut. It's that microbiome, which determines what's going to happen to you. So you can actually change your DNA by changing that DNA by what you eat. So, um, I always start with the gut. If your gut's not working right, 
you're not going to be healthy. There's just no way you can be. So should we be concerned? So, because it sounds like we have a lot more control over these things than we think. You know, how how much should we be concerned with, you know, our genetics versus, you know, let's just do a lot of these preventative measures like, you know, eating low carb and, you know, staying away from things that we know aren't good for our gut. Like, should we right. still be concerned with genetics? Yeah, but much more so with lifestyle. Okay. Because, you know, whether we have genetic engineering in the future, maybe. I mean, they're even curing cancer by genetic splicing and cloning, stuff like that. But most of us just need to be really concerned with our lifestyles. Um, and, you know, that in, the first thing is, is your gut and what you put in your mouth. You know, there's certain mutations on genes like, the APO4E, which is the so-called Alzheimer's gene, that's kind of good to know to take extra precautions, you know, to maybe prevent it, which you can delay it for years. So that's one gene, the MTHFR gene, the methylation gene is one that I look at a lot because you may, in that mutation, you, which I have myself, you can't convert folic acid into folate, the active form of vitamin B9, which is very important for your brain and a lot of things. So you need to supplement with methyl folate and methyl B12 and probably B6 um, and watch your homocysteine levels. So um, for breast cancer, there's a BRCA gene. Um, so there's a lot of genetic diseases that are actually out there that we can check for, um, but it's much more important how you're living your life and what you're eating. Um, so, um, can, can, can I push back just one, one, one little point here, because you mentioned in this week's doctor's note, um, about, uh, it was on low dose aspirin and you talked about history with, um, colon cancer in that if you have a first degree relative, you'll want to get a colonoscopy, you know, 15 years prior to when that first degree relative got their diagnosis. So how much does family history and genetics, are they, are they correlated? Are they the same thing or do you look at them differently? Oh, they, well, they're, they're correlated. I look at them a little bit differently because in something like that, you definitely need to take the history, even though there's no great gene test for colon cancer. I'm sure there's markers out there, but not a commonly done one through the office. Um, although that Cologuard is somewhat of a DNA test, um, which I, I kind of like that test. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you got to consider that. So uh, a history of heart disease, like if somebody comes here and tells me their dad died at age 48 of a heart attack, you know, I perk my ears up, I get a Cleveland panel, I'll, I'll probably run an earlier CT calcium scoring, which is a CAT scan of the coronary arteries on somebody like that, and maybe put him on aspirin a little bit earlier. So you got to listen to the patient, you got to listen to that history, including the family history, and then what genetic tests become available to us, like the APOE and the MTHFR, um, I'll look at them too. So, um, you know, even with type 1 diabetes, you know, which, of course, we have two type 1s in our family, mm -hmm. uh, there's genetic tests you can run on that and uh, determine whether or not one of the, and that a sibling's going to get it. Mm -hmm. 
So, which is good to know because you can put it off for a while just by some lifestyle changes. So, yeah, and the more the more evidence we get of genetics, the more we study it and utilize it for prevention. So, awesome. we're about prevention in our clinic and anything we can utilize like that, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's a great it's great a great question. question. Great question and uh, I want to say, uh, what's up to Melanie? Melanie, thanks for being here. Billy, Billy, thanks so much for hanging out, man. You're a huge inspiration uh, behind this show and everything we're doing with the podcasting. Uh, Tracy, what's up? Uh, Shelly, we're going to get to your question here shortly. Thank you for, for hanging out as always. Um, okay, we're going to go to question number three. Um, what does the active form of vitamin D mean? Well, there's just... That usually just means vitamin D3. That's the one you want. You know, D2 is not as biologically active. And ironically, the prescription medicine, a lot of doctors write the 50,000 units once a week that you think you're getting. Oh, this is a great. That's D2. You need D3. So um, I just gave a guy a shot of D3, 50,000 units, and not 20 minutes ago in my office. He had a very low vitamin D level. And even though he was taking 5,000 a D, so I bumped him up to 10,000, uh, added vitamin MK2, and I gave him a booster today of 50,000 just to kind of get him up. He's just not, a, it's just not enough for him. Everybody's different. Check your blood level of vitamin D. One so, most important thing to do. So if they're taking D2, then that's, it, that's not it's, doing it's, anything. Get off of it. D3 is a lot better. Why, why does that still feel like that's not common knowledge? I can't answer that because I don't know. I mean, you know. <laughs> I just, it, it, I mean, if the D2, it doesn't do anything, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't we only talk about vitamin D3? And Well, you know, that's, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a good question, but. Um, and I'm assuming the D and K, the D and K is D3 with K. Is that right? Yeah. With MK2 and 7. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that uh, you need vitamin K in there to help the vitamin D bring the calcium into your bones, not your arteries. It's, it's ironic and very confusing as to how many doctors don't know that. Hmm. I bet probably 1% of doctors know that that fact right there. And it's so important with cardio protection, protection from osteoporosis. And, you know, <laughs> so it's crazy yeah it's, it's interesting i saw some commentary um this week about you know vitamin d3 or vitamin d in protection and then there was a response saying but it you know the active form as if the active form is not you know readily available you know vitamin d3 is is available to to everybody like it's a it's something that it's dirt cheap it's super affordable so, um okay d3 d3 with k D3 with K. Great question there. Remind everybody, if you want to get your question in, go ahead and uh, start putting those in the comments. We're about halfway through the show. Uh, we're going to try to save a, you know, the second half for, for live questions here. Um, okay. You put me on Adderall recently, and all of a sudden my handwriting got much better. Uh, could this be related? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I do treat a lot of adult ADD. Like I've said many times before, there's in 35 years of practice, there's two medications that I've used that people come hug me for and tell me it changed their life. First one would be testosterone. The second would be Adderall. And I just don't see abuse of Adderall like a lot of people think. It is a class two because it's a stimulant. Um, But I mean, 
for a lot of people with ADD, and you see much more of it now because we live in a lot more hectic world where we have to multitask. I mean, and a lot of adults have ADD and it really hinders them. Um, a lot of times some, some people will come to my office and they'll come in for something different like hormones or anything. And I'll see them, you know, tapping their foot. They can't slow their foot down from tapping or they they'll jump from one subject to another. And I'll say, you need to focus in here on why you came. And I realize, Hey, they've got ADD. I can really help that patient. So I give them a quiz. We talk about it. And a lot of times I end up treating them for, for ADD. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't think anybody's, I haven't really noticed that. Um, but I assume it would, it's probably the Adderall you're taking and your handwriting got better. You just, it really, it's weird because even though Adderall is a stimulant and people that have ADD, it calms them down. They sleep better. They get along with people better. Um, they communicate better. Um, they're much more effective in relationships and work situations. Uh, they can get more done. Um, they usually lose a little bit of weight. Um, Vyvanse, which is a cousin of Adderall, that we use some. It's been it's been approved by the FDA for adult binge eating disorder. So, you know, sometimes I use that for that. But um, so it's, yes, yeah, definitely the reason your handwriting got better is because you're on Adderall. You're, you're focused better. You're taking your time. You're concentrating better. And I'm sure it helps your handwriting. I'm going to start asking my ADD patients that because that's a great question. Thank you for whoever wrote that in. You, you've told um, me you've told me quite a bit that that Adderall and testosterone are the two things that um, that people come up to you the most thankful for. Um, is that is that is that like the biggest change you've seen in people in terms of you know what you what you do in office, um, those two things in terms of the change. Well, in well, that weight loss, you know, supplementation. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the, one of the gratifying things. It's really, mm. I, I, I'm getting off track here, but is that something that you stay on for a while or is that something you can get on? It's something you may need if you're getting off track. So. Okay. So but it, it doesn't have to no, be for the rest of your life. You need it, man. If you're getting off track here. That's what I'm saying. Uh, sometimes some people just need it. Say they go back to school, you know, they're studying for grad school or whatever, and they need it for that period of time. So, oh, got um, it. okay. One thing about Adderall use, I like to keep the doses as low as I can and also take breaks from it. Like when you don't need it, don't take it. Mm. You know, that's the way for any medicine, even a vitamin, take okay. an occasional break from it. But, uh, All right. We're going to get to, to question number five here. Um, when do you think we will develop herd immunity? And uh, probably a, a great question. I've been talking about that all day. Um, There's a great article in the Wall Street Journal uh, last week about developing herd immunity, and I agreed with it. I think we're going to see herd immunity by April. Hmm. I really do. I mean, if you've noticed, the rates are just falling precipitously of, of COVID cases, deaths are falling, hospitalizations. Um, and then with the vaccine going, with herd immunity going, the vaccine is not responsible so far for the decrease. Hadn't had time yet. So it's we're getting some natural herd immunity. The vaccine is just going to help that. So and it's also interesting that uh, there was a report out last week that showed that these two new COVID vaccines, the mRNA vaccines that they have now, 
um, you know, that are 95% effective. Um, they've shown that after the first dose, it's 92% effective. So that's pretty encouraging. It's really encouraging. Yeah. You know, you know, so, so, so there's they're trying to say, hey, they're trying to say, hey, give that second dose to somebody who needs it rather than rationing it out, which I agree with. Hmm. Give the give the give it out to people who need it. Wait on your second dose. You know, um, kind of kills me that people are getting two doses of that. They're young and healthy, don't even need it, especially if they've already had COVID, you know, so get the people that really need at least one vaccine. And that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I do think it's super encouraging. Um, man, I, I I hope that's I hope that's right. You know, it's um, very encouraging. Um, well, I think we ought to back up in April for sure. Um, you know, <laughs> get rid of these crazy masks. I'll say that it's not uh, proper to say maybe, but you know, everybody's tired of the mask. Everybody's tired of not going anywhere, seeing the folks and relatives. I think by April, hopefully we've already opened up our schools. We need to open everything up in April is my own opinion about it, unless something else happens, but we're, we're keeping a close eye on, um, uh, you know, the, the rates and all, and we'll see what happens with some of these mutations. Um, but uh, hopefully they're not as bad as as was anticipated. I don't think they will be, knock on wood, but mm-hmm. we'll keep our eyes peeled. And uh, um, so I'm, I'm very optimistic right now. Good. Very optimistic. People are saying, yeah, we're going to be wearing these masks till another year. I say BS. We're not going to be wearing these masks. You know, you may have a few paranoid people wearing the mask that long, but, you know, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. I'll wear it right now while it's proper to wear it, but um, we're going to be getting rid of these masks very soon. We're going to be out looking at concerts, playing sports, which you're already doing anyway. I mean, we're going to, people are going to start realizing that we're on the tail end of this thing and that they should be doing those things they should have been doing anyway, like getting leaner, not being obese, taking their vitamins, developing their own immune systems, so that something like this won't happen again to us because viruses are always going to be around. They've been around since the beginning of time. Our bodies should be programmed to fight them off. They are if we don't abuse our bodies. So start eating right, get your gut settled in, take your vitamins, wash your hands. When you're sick, stay away from other people, you know, common sense, stuff like that. And, uh, all right. Well, we're going to, let's get, we got a few more minutes here. Let's get to some, some live questions. Um, I'll put this up. Uh, Tracy, he's my favorite doctor too. I got I got to say it. <laughs> um, okay. So let's, let's get to, to Shelly has a few questions. I want to get to these. Um, can you reverse cardiac calcium buildup in your arteries? That's a great question. I hope you can. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, yeah, I think you can. I really do. Um, I'll give you an example of myself. You know, 10 years ago, I had a cardiac calcium scoring that was zero. There's no calcium in my, in my coronary arteries. And I don't have risk factors for heart disease. I just don't have them. I got a calcium scoring two months ago. My score is 97. So I do have some calcification of my coronary arteries, hardening of the arteries. Um, 
And it's because of, as I age, you just get a little stiffer in your joints. You kind of calcify a little bit. That's why I'm a little stiffer in my back when I wake up in the morning. Calcium in my spine. So, yeah, one thing I'm doing is um, I'm taking EDTA. It's an oral chelator that, you know, I take every day because I think there's a lot of evidence that that can clear up a lot of calcifications of your body. It's totally safe. You don't have to get it in your veins, which is faster. But, you know, um, it's almost like a detox type thing. When you think of EDTA, you think about, you know, getting rid of mercury and arsenic and some of the heavy metal overloads. But um, it definitely um, gets rid of calcium in your body. So I'm doing that. Um, some people that have known coronary artery disease, uh, there's some evidence that statins can uh, maybe resorb some of it. You know, if I have to, I'm not a big, huge fan of statins, except if you have heart disease, then I sometimes use a low dose statin, very low dose. And there, there's some evidence that for people with heart disease, it, it, it may help some of that. So definitely if you have a stent, if you had a heart attack or bypass, you probably ought to be on a really low dose statin. It's not so much because it lowers your cholesterol. It's because it does have some anti-inflammatory effects. Other things you can do are like that infrared sauna that I have. You can sweat, detox that way. You can eat, start eating right. But yeah, I definitely think you can reverse calcium buildup in your arteries. I do. And, and Shelly, we, we did write, we, we wrote a, an article on EDTA, if anybody's interested in, in learning more about that. It's very similar um, to chelation. Um, it was, we, we wrote it as a, um, a, comparatively speaking, to IV chelation, which, um, which we can't do in Tennessee. And EDTA is a, a good um, uh, supplement for that. Um, okay. They put, it, they put it in baby food, so it's very safe, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And Shelly has uh, one last question. Um, and it, that is, I think it's a common one. How do you know if you are adult ADD? Um, start reading about it. Ask your family members and uh, come by and pick up a quiz I have here at the office. You don't need an extensive psychological four hour examination um, to determine that. You know, typically most doctors will send you to a neuropsychologist to prove that you have adult ADD. So you spend all the time this money. <laughs> it's funny because I had a lady this week who I saw that she just, she had it, but uh, she'd had it for years and her, her friend was in with her and she was telling me the story about how they sent her to a neuropsychologist who put her through a whole day's work battery of testing. I think it cost her a thousand bucks. And uh, the, my friend had gone in with her and told the psychologist, I could have told you that for free that she has ADD. <laughs> so listen to your teachers, your friends, your colleagues, do the quiz, you know, talk to me about it and, you know, maybe put you on a trial or something and see, see what happens. Yeah. And that, that's, that is, um, that's a, I think we actually have it on our, on our website as well. Uh, the quiz, if it's not, um, I'll make sure that that's, uh, easily accessible for you. Um, guys, uh, it looks like we have, we have no more questions. Uh, Doc, I really appreciate the, the time tonight, and uh, everyone who's with us, uh, thank you for, for hanging out. This has been so much fun. We love doing this. 
uh, every single Tuesday. Uh, if you want to ask a question and, and, and you don't want to ask in the comments, be sure to, to send us an email during the week. Uh, send it to info at performancemedicine.net. Uh, we're happy to take questions that way, as, uh, the way we get our first five. Uh, so ask us, uh, ask us then. We're, we're happy to take those, and we're going to get to as many as possible um, on these Tuesday night uh, live Q&A sessions with Dr. Rogers. Um, Donna, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Shelly. Uh, thank you, Tracy. Thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, this has been a blast. Uh, Dr. Dr. Rogers, I'm going to let you go, man. It, it, it's too thank nice you. of a day. Uh, Everybody get out and exercise. It's a beautiful day. still light. Spring's around the corner. See you next week. See you guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.